Good morning, everybody. So I'm Viv, and together with Steve, we have had the privilege of leading this church. We started, uh, we were commissioned from South of Sunday Vineyard about two years ago, actually. And uh, we've been meeting regularly on a Sunday for about 18 months. And as you can see, we're gathering all different people from all different works of, walks of life. And it's just been an absolute privilege. And um, we are currently doing a series called Born Identity. And we're looking at who Jesus says that we are as a result of going through the book of Ephesians. And you may have noticed that we're going quite slowly. Today, we're on verse 7 and 8 of chapter 1. Might seem like it's kind of stretching forward for an eternity, all the things that we've got to cover, but um, we might speed up at some point. So today I'm going to be talking to you about the fact that we are redeemed and we're forgiven. And I love this verse in Ephesians, and it's a, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible for whatever reason, we have some on the um, information desk at the back. Please feel free to take one with our compliments. So grab a Bible, or maybe you have one on your phone. You might need glasses to read them on the screen. Um, so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love that verse, don't you? There's so much richness and depth in that verse. But this word, this word redemption, this is what we're going to be looking at today. And it's a bit of an old-fashioned word. It feels a bit of a, an old-fashioned concept, and it's something we might band around a little bit uh, as Christians. But I want to explain what it actually means this morning. And in order to, to, to do that, we're going to go to a different part of the Bible. And there's a short story tucked away in the beginning of the Old Testament, and it's called the Book of Ruth. And I love this book. It's one of my favourite books of the Old Testament. And it's the love story of all love stories. Hollywood has nothing on this. It's, it's got all the elements of a great love story. It's got uh, tragedy, despair, triumph, romance, all wrapped into one. I really, really recommend that if you haven't read the book of Ruth, that you go, you go away and read it. And it's almost like every single detail comes together as if it's for a greater purpose. Almost as if the author is pointing us to a bigger story. And what I want you to see this morning is how the story of Ruth ultimately points us to the story of Jesus, and then beyond that points us to our own stories represented across this room. Because every single part of the Bible speaks to us now, it's relevant to us now, even though it was written many, many years ago. There's always parts of it that speaks to our own stories personally. And so I want to pray this morning that God would help us all to see just his love for us in a new and fresh way this morning. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, that you would, you would just know that the love of God is here for you this morning. And regardless of whether you're hurting or whether you're happy, whether you're down or whether you're buzzing this morning whether things are going to plan, whether things really aren't going to plan, that God's love would re re really meet you where you are this morning. And so we just, we pause this morning, Father, and we thank you that you are here with us this morning. We ask you that you'd help each one of us to understand more fully who you've made us to be and who you 
uh, how you see us in Jesus this morning. Amen. So what what on earth does the story of Ruth have to do with us? I want to start right in the middle of the book of Ruth, and it's in chapter 3. And it happened on a night when Ruth went to see Boaz in the middle of the night. Nothing dodgy happened, but they came face to face with one another and this was a conversation. It was a, it, it was a little bit odd, can't lie. So um, we're starting Ruth chapter 3 verse 7 and it says, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. So let me give you some background. So Naomi's husband had died, and so had both of her sons one of whom was married to Ruth. So Naomi and Ruth had both lost their husbands, and neither of them had any children, so they had no one to carry on their family line, no heir, no family, and just not no no family, but no food or no one to provide for them long term. But how God had set it up with the Israelites back in that day was that for a situation like this, Someone that was a close relative, or you you heard the word kinsman there, it just simply means a near relative. Someone could redeem them if if somebody was in Naomi or Ruth's position. And that word redeem, it literally means to purchase and restore. That word means to purchase and restore. So to restore them, to provide for them, to take care of them, and it comes at a price. So they would have had to pay in order to redeem them. And so the picture is that Ruth goes to Boaz and says to him, you're a redeemer. So Ruth, firstly, she recognises her need for redemption. So she knew that she needed a redeemer. So she approached Boaz a little bit forcefully, if I'm honest, a little bit strangely. But she says, you can redeem me. And the, the only problem was that Ruth was not the most likely of candidates. So um, her past was not clean. Her sort of history, her heritage wasn't clean. Um, It talks about Ruth being a Moabite. There's all sorts of strange words in the Bible, isn't there? This is one of them. Um, That she was a Moabite. And the Moabites and the Israelites had a bit of a history together. So it all started when an Israelite man called Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, he had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. It's all there in the Bible, isn't it? It's just, it's a lot more sordid than EastEnders, I'll tell you. <laughs> Not that I watch it. Um, so together, they, uh, so uh, Lot and his daughter had a, um, a son called Moab. So this is where the Moabites came from. And it didn't really get much better than that. So they, they, they were kind of known for their sexual immorality, for their idolatry, for their adultery, and they indulged in human sacrifices as well. And um, there, was one, there was one point, I think, where Mo- the Moabite women seduced Israelite men into immorality, and as a result, 24,000 Israelite men were killed. So like, when that happens, 
you probably don't want to go near a Moabite woman. They've got a bit of a reputation. <laughs> and so this is Ruth. You've got Ruth now. So she's a Moabite. And she's living in the land of the Israelites. And she's got no family. She's got no one to provide for her. And she's given up everything in order to follow Naomi back to her homeland. So her past wasn't clean and her future wasn't certain. It was anything but certain. So Ruth, she was, she was guaranteed nothing. And not just because she was a Moabite, but she had no family, no heir, no one to take on the family line, no provision. And even her mother-in-law, Naomi, she was in the same boat as well. And if they didn't have anyone to come and redeem them, they'd be left without any family or left to starve, probably, with nowhere to carry on their line. So she knew that she needed to be redeemed. And secondly, she trusted the love of her redeemer. So um, Ruth knew at this point that Boaz loved her. It's clear from the start. If you go back and read the whole story... She just so happened to find herself in Boaz's field one day and he saw her amidst all the other women and all the other people that were working in the field. And he sought after her. He came to her and sought after her. And he goes past all the other workers and he comes up to her and the story says that he speaks tenderly to her, speaks kindly to her. So there's, there's think of it. So he's, he's the lord of the harvest field. He owns all the harvest fields around. But he seeks after this Moabite woman. And he not only seeks after her, but he saves her from harm. And it was, it was common in situations like this for women in the fields to be really mistreated. But Boaz says, I'm going to take personally, personal responsibility for you and provide for you and make sure you're protected in this field. And then there's this scene in the second chapter of Ruth where he, um, he not only seeks her out and saves her from harm, but he invites her to come to his table and... Uh, him and his friends are sitting around having a nice romantic meal over roasted grain or whatever it was they ate back then. Um, and they, she said, so they're not only sitting there, but the Lord of the harvest, Boaz, he's serving her food. So she's just this nobody. She's this Moabite woman. But the Lord of the harvest is actually serving her food. And he sends her back to Naomi that day with more grain than she can ever imagine. And he says, come back to my fields and you'll be provided for and you'll be protected. So that's what's happening leading up to this, to this story in Ruth chapter 3. So she, she knew that Boaz kind of liked her. But the problem was still there. She needed a redeemer. She was still without family and without guarantee of food. And so she comes to Boaz and here's the deal. With, with, in order for somebody to redeem another person, there was certain qualifications that needed to be met. Not just anybody could go in and redeem. So the first one, in order for Boaz to redeem Ruth and, Mer, um, Ruth and uh, Naomi, he must have the right to redeem her. Just, just uh, uh, for a little bit of kudos here, I've got three R's. Well, every good preacher has uh, like three, three R's, don't they? Or three P's or something. But three R's. <clears throat> he must have the right to redeem her. That's the first point. So the law said... You had to be a near relative or a kinsman. And the closer the relative you were to the deceased husband, the greater the right you had to redeem them. So first of all, he's got to have the right to redeem. Secondly, he must have the resources to redeem her. So there was a redemption price. So to purchase this family's property and to provide for them, there was a cost involved. 
So he has to have the resources to provide for them. So he must have the right to redeem, the resources to redeem, and thirdly, he's, he must have the resolve to redeem. And that just literally means he's got to want to. He's actually got to want to. So they did have a choice. It wasn't uh, just that they had to do it. And that was the key, because right after they have this conversation in Ruth 3, Ruth says, you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant. Redeem me. Boaz looks at her and says, actually, there's another guy who's a closer relative who has the right to redeem you. And so I'll go to him as soon as possible, and I'll find out if he'll redeem you. And if he wants to, then he will. But if he doesn't, then absolutely I'll redeem you. He's willing. He has, he has the resolve to redeem her. And so it sets the scene um, in this, this, the fourth chapter of Ruth, this sort of climactic scene in the story of Ruth, where Boaz and this other random guy, it never gives the name of this random guy. I don't, I don't know why. Because a lot of people are very, very specifically named. But this random guy, uh, Boaz and him, come face to face. And uh, Boaz looks at him and says, there's a close relative, Naomi, whose husband has died, and you've got the right to redeem her. You're her closest relative. Do you want to do it? So the guy looks back at Boaz, and he says, yeah, I'll redeem her. So you're kind of reading the story, and you're like... <laughs> like, Boaz, what are you doing? You've lost it, you've blown it. It's a bit like, um, uh, has anyone seen La La Land? Yeah. Has anyone not seen La La Land? Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen it by now. You should have seen it by now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for me, that story shouldn't have ended like that. I didn't want it to end like that. I was so disappointed. Anyway, forget that if you, if you actually haven't seen it. Sorry about that. Spoiler. But, but so you've got here, Boaz um, speaks up and he, he then says, actually, there's one small point that I might have missed. He said, uh, with Naomi, she's also got a daughter-in-law and she's named Ruth. And if you get Naomi, you also get Ruth. And just a small detail about her, she's a Moabite. Remember them? And, uh, and this other guy looks back at Boaz and he's like, Matt, you're right, they're all yours, mate. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not going to take responsibility for them. I will not redeem them. And so this is the point. Boaz steps up. And it's one of those moments you can hear the orchestral triumph going in the background. And uh, Boaz steps forward and he says, I will redeem her. And he brings her into his family and marries her. That's what should, should have happened in La La Land. Sorry. You should have one of those things that erases your memory for people that um, haven't watched it. Anyway, that's not the climax of the story because... Ruth and Boaz, um, they go on to have a son, and he's called Obed. And at a very, very dark time in Israelite history, Obed, he becomes a glimmer of light, because Obed, as far as the, the end of the story tells us, he will become the father of Jesse, and Jesse will become the father of King David. And he was the most important king for the Israelites in all of their history. 
And even that isn't the end of the story. Because you get to the first chapter in the New Testament, and it tells you that Ruth had a son called Obed, Obed had a son called Jesse, Jesse had a son called David, and David is the one through whose line comes Jesus. So right at the beginning of the New Testament, there's this little kind of Ruth there. She's right there, right at the beginning of the New Testament. And so this story is almost written on the pages of, of human history to point us to the reality and the story of Jesus. And that's where we pick up our link here in Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. And I want you to listen again to the language here. The language that the New Testament uses to describe Jesus. And it says, in Jesus, we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And so the story here, it suddenly jumps to a cosmic scale, doesn't it? It's no longer a story of redemption with a woman in a field and a landowner. Now it's a world filled with people whose past isn't clean and whose future isn't certain. And it's filled with you and me and everyone else in all of history. All of us stained with sin, and not only stained with sin, but suffering with the effects of sin. There's not at the room here, every one of us will have been um, familiar with pain and hurt and regret and loneliness and fractured relationships and broken marriages and the, the effects of sin surround all of us, don't they? An entire world which has been separated from God and experiencing the reality of that separation on a daily basis. So all of us having rebelled against the authority of God, not only a world where everyone's past is unclean, but where we have a future that's uncertain. So how, how can this world be reconciled to a God that's holy? That's the question, isn't it? I think it's probably the biggest question of today. How does, how does all of this rubbish from the world get reconciled to a God who's so incredibly holy? And I think it's a question where every single major religion attempts to answer this. And this is where we see that Jesus Christ, he's set apart from every major religion and every major religious leader. So if you, if you think about it with me, he, Jesus alone has the right to redeem us. So remember, remember going back to Boaz, in order to be a redeemer, you have to be a near kinsman, you have to be a relative, near relative, you have to be close and familiar with that person. So the, the restorer, the redeemer, has to be close or familiar with both sets of people. So this is where we see the uniqueness of Jesus. So not only is he God, but he's God in the flesh. He's divine over us and he's human like us. He's God and he's man. And this is the reality of who Christ is and the beauty of what Christ has done. So in order to redeem us, God has had to come to us. He's not far off, he's not distant, he's not disconnected from our lives and all that we experience. He knows what it's like to be human. He's familiar with us and no one else can make that claim. So Jesus alone has the right to redeem us. Going back to our three R's again. Jesus has the right to redeem us. And secondly, Jesus has the resources to redeem us. And he has the resources in two ways. He has the power over sin. 
So again, the Bible says in every way, he is like us except for one. He has no sin. And it makes sense again, doesn't it, that in order to save us from sin, he has to be without sin. And again, no one else in all of history has come close to proving that claim. Um, you look at all major religious leaders, whether it's Muhammad or Gandhi or even Mother Teresa, all of them admitted that they'd done wrong. All of them admitted that they were sinners. So Jesus stands apart as the sinless one. And that's not it. He, only, he not only has power over sin, but what's the payment for sin? And that's death. And so the one who has power over sin must also by necessity be able to make the payment for sin and to conquer death. And that's where we realise that Jesus not only has power over sin, but he has authority over death. Who else in all of history can have their lungs stop breathing and their heart stop beating for days only to decide I'm coming back to life and to do so? Every other major, major religious leader in the past or the future has died or will die. There is only one human in the pages of human history who is still alive and his name is Jesus. He alone has the resources to redeem us the right to redeem us. And he's, he's done it, hasn't he? He's paid for us. Oh, skipped. <laughs> and thirdly, Jesus has the resolve to redeem us. So he has the right to redeem us, the resources to redeem us, and the resolve to redeem us. And this is where it gets personal. He seeks us as his own. So feel the wonder of this. You and I are Ruth. We're just, we're just standing in the, in the field, aren't we? With nothing to draw us to him. We're stained with sin. Our past is unclean. And think of it, the God of the universe steps off his throne in glory. And he comes to you and me. He seeks after you. And he doesn't say, find your way to me. He seeks us as his own. And he saves us by his mercy. And we, we're, we're potentially in a dangerous situation because uh, we are standing before a holy God. And because God is infinite in his goodness, he possesses holy anger against sin. The evidence of his goodness, God is dead set against anything that hurts us. He's dead set against anything that hurts us. And so in his goodness and his holiness, he's set to pour out anger against sin. And judgment. So that puts us in an eternally dangerous position if we're not careful. Who, who's going to save us? It's not somebody that just comes alongside of us and says, oh, you, you just lead a little bit of a better life. You'll be all right. Or just follow these steps, walk down this path. But the reality is that any path we go down, well, sin will just come with us. We need someone who can take the payment of our sin and, and take it in our place. And that's exactly what Jesus has done on the cross. The sinless one has stood in the place that you and I deserve to stand. And he's taken the anger and the judgment that you and I deserved. It's, it's almost like um, Christ on the cross, he, he just like took the full torrent of all the anger and all the judgment against sin. He took it all. And he drank down every last drop turned over the cup and said, it is finished. 
and he saves us by his mercy. And so he says, you are protected in my field. And he, might, he, he wants to serve us at his table. So we're, we're, we were these sinners and rebelled against the authority of God. And, but we're being invited to feast at the table of God, just like Ruth did with Boaz. The Lord of the harvest served her at his table. And that is, like everything that the world has to offer, that doesn't compare to that, does it? To settle for anything less is ridiculous. Jesus is a good redeemer. He's the only redeemer. And where, th this is where the story of Jesus intersects with the story of everybody in this room. This is the ultimate love story. And Romans 3, just read that quickly, Romans 3 verses 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, which means reconciled or restored, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, Here's a key phrase, to be received through faith. Love isn't realised until it's received. You have to receive it. It's a free gift, but you still have to receive it. And can you imagine Boaz stepping forward and saying, Ruth, I will redeem you. Can you imagine Ruth looking into Boaz's face and saying, no, you're all right. All right, I'll do this on my own. I don't really need you. It would make no sense, would it, to look in the face of the only one that has the right and the resources and the resolve to redeem you and say, no, I'm going to do this on my own. And so every single one of us, don't we, every single one of us in, in this room and in the, in the world that we live in faces this question, will you reject the Redeemer or will you receive this Redeemer? And if we've said yes to Jesus and asked him to redeem us, then this is now who we are. This is our identity. We are redeemed. We're completely forgiven. We're no longer unclean. We're no longer damaged goods. No matter what we've done, no matter what our past is, we've been redeemed from an unclean past and an uncertain future. And we can stand now completely clean and completely secure knowing that Jesus is our redeemer and we've been completely redeemed and forgiven. So I, I know I've gone about this in a bit of a roundabout way, kind of starting off in Ephesians, going back to Ruth, on to Romans, back to Ephesians. But I wanted us to understand what it means to be redeemed. And I find it so much easier when I can kind of see a story of how that works. And it may be a word that we only occasionally use as followers of Jesus, but it's so much a part of who we are. And going back to, to what a redeemer is, it's, to, it's someone that purchased us with a price. And this, this is who we are. So we, we can stand secure today because our past is clean and our future is certain. And no matter what our circumstances are today, no matter how we're feeling we, we live so much nowadays, don't we, just how we, how we feel. And that's not the truth of who we are. So Jesus says, you are redeemed, and I've paid the price, and I want to redeem you. So just as Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, we are redeemed by Jesus.
it's, this is great news, isn't it? Right, let, let's, I just want to kind of finish just by praying, really. And I feel like today there's people here that um, it's almost like you've got, you feel like you've got no hope. So a bit like Ruth was, she's gone, she travelled, um, not back to her own country. She was in a foreign land. She had no one to provide for her, no one uh, looking out for her. And I feel like God today, there's, I feel like there's people here today that are feeling a bit hopeless. They feel like you've maybe sacrificed a load of things for God, or that you've, um, you just feel like you've, you've given up a lot, and yet you're wondering whether God's going to come through, or you're wondering whether God is real, you're wondering whether he has got something for you in the future. And I really want to pray for you today that God would show you that there is hope. And in Ruth's situation, he turned that whole situation around, didn't he? Didn't he? And out of Ruth's situation came Jesus. So he not only redeemed it and just provided for her, but he gave her, her such a hope for the future. So why don't we, why don't we stand, actually? <clears throat> and then in a minute we're going to worship again. And so, Father, we thank you, for, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth and for the story of Ruth and Boaz, where you, you've stepped into human history and you have been the one who redeems us. Thank you that because you became a man, you have the right to redeem us. Thank you that because of your death, you have the resources and that you triumph over death. And you took all the punishment that was due to us. That you took all of that. You have the resources to buy us. And thank you that you want to. Thank you that your face is turned towards us. That you delight in us. Thank you that if it was just me, you would have still done it. And we receive your redemption this morning. And I thank you that we stand here as redeemed people. People that know that our past is forgiven and our future is certain. And we give you thanks this morning. I pray that the truth of that would really sink into people's hearts this morning. That it wouldn't just be a head knowledge thing, but it would sink into the very depths of our identity. That we would know that we are redeemed, that we are new creations. And I pray for people this morning that feel hopeless. They feel like they've given up everything for you and it's not worked out. I pray that you would speak words of hope and words of life into their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.